Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking. What is my relationship with nature and our family's relationship with nature? And how can we get back to focusing on that instead of focusing so much on the trash so that every day our goal isn't getting to a mason jar of trash. Our goal is working towards living more harmoniously with our ecosystem so that we don't feel apart from it. We feel a part of it. listening to the Good Dirt Podcast. This is a place where we dig into the nitty gritty of sustainable living through food, fashion, and lifestyle. And we're your hosts, Mary and Emma Kingsley, the mother and daughter founder team of Lady Farmer. We're sowing seeds of slow living through our community platform, events, and online marketplace. We started this podcast as a means to share the wealth of information and quality conversations that we're having in our world as we dream up and deliver ways for each of us to live into the new paradigm, one that is regenerative, balanced, and whole. We want to put the microphone in front of the voices that need to be heard the most right now, the farmers, the dreamers, the designers, and the doers. So come cultivate a better world with us. We're so glad you're here. Now, let's dig in. So it is now, as you know, as we've been talking about, it is plastic free July. So I thought I would tell the story of this experience I had the other day that really relates to this in a very good way. I was invited to a picnic and the invitation said, this is a zero waste picnic. Bring your own plates, utensils and cups and napkins and a dish to share. That seemed easy enough. And so... I did that and showed up and there was about a dozen people at this picnic and everyone had done the same. I was just really impressed by the fact that it just unfolded so naturally. People just had their own stuff. We had a wonderful meal. There was a sink there. People could rinse their stuff off after they were finished, pack their stuff away with their dish that they had brought. Most of the food had been consumed and there was no trash. There was no clean up for the hostess. And it wasn't a big deal. And there wasn't a lot of talk about it. It was just simply something that was mentioned in the invitation and it just came off so smoothly. So it can be done. Exactly. It doesn't have to be a big deal. And in this season of picnics, we have 4th of July, we've had Juneteenth, we've had the summer solstice all summer long coming up for all these outdoor celebrations. And I think the common thing is to think, okay, let's go get the disposables for this picnic. In this instance, it was just, we just took another approach and it was simple and it turned out great. So just throwing that out there, you know, it brings up the the conversation, which we're going to talk about a lot in this upcoming episode, the conversation about convenience, how sometimes we're led to these decisions because we're told that it's more convenient. We're told that it's much more convenient. If you're going to have people over for a picnic, then you have to go purchase all these things because that's what's convenient because who wants to wash all those dishes? You know, when you break it down and think about it a little bit, you know, how convenient is that? You have to go buy the stuff. You have to spend money. You have to dispose of it afterwards. If you do something this way where everybody brings their own, there's none of that. You haven't spent the money. You haven't created the waste. And when talking about this term convenience, Sometimes it's interesting to break it down like that and think, what's actually convenient or not convenient? So in today's episode, we do talk a lot about convenience. As I said, this is a conversation that stemmed from listener feedback. Jamila Edwards emailed us a while back telling us a little bit about her story, asking for some of our thoughts on some questions that we think are the same questions that so many of our listeners are asking. In her email, Jamila says, and I quote, I fully feel that at first, it is most difficult to give up the convenience of a conventional lifestyle. This is where my busy family struggles the most. I'd love to hear more about this and tips for getting started, or I'm willing to talk about it myself. These are exactly the type of topics we like to tackle in our slow, 
Living Consult. So we took her up on her offer to talk about it and invited Jamila to have this conversation recorded and she agreed. So she came on and as you will hear, we really try to hash out some of the issues. And just to be clear, we want people to know that we understand the many layers of this, how convenience is so often not a choice, but actually a matter of survival for so many. And that the ability to refuse the more convenient options in our lifestyle and our consumption habits in favor of something, quote unquote, more sustainable is actually a privilege that isn't available to everyone. Yes. And maybe part of our journey is in discerning where we really do need to utilize modern conveniences and which ones and weigh all of that against where we've been sold the goods, so to speak, where we've been told how life will be better with this or that product, when actually more sustainable choices are way more accessible to us than we realize. Going back to the bring your own utensils and plate picnic, as an example, nothing had to be purchased and no one was left with a giant cleanup. So I just think that's a good example of this way of kind of turning things around a little bit and looking at them from a different angle. So the reason that we wanted to have this conversation is because we think that so many of us are struggling with this every day, all the time when we're trying to be more sustainable and we don't think that we can afford it and we don't know what the best thing to do is and we don't want to feel bad about it. So we really loved having this open and honest and real conversation with Jamila because it's a it's a confusing landscape out there. So we want to hear from you guys and your thoughts and your questions and your struggles and the things that you've figured out and the things that you've yet to figure out. You know, we've got a voicemail, 443-459-1950. We'd love to hear from you. You can also write in to thegooddirtpodcast at gmail.com. And yeah, let us know what you think about this conversation and what you think about this topic, because it is a never-ending topic and we love to talk about it. Yes. And we love to talk about any other topics that might come across your radar when you're trying to navigate a more sustainable lifestyle. There are lots of things to talk about. So more about Jamila. She's a wife and a mother who's passionate about sustainability, food justice, and intentional living. She and her husband, Eric, own Life's Flower Coffee House and Marketplace, which they started with a deep love for coffee and their passion for environmentalism. They're in the process of opening their e-commerce shop this summer with a focus on one day a week local delivery in Akron, Ohio. They also run Life's Flower Farm, which is a backyard urban farm and online educational platform. Their family is making the slow transition to low-waste living, which she admits isn't always easy, but they believe in making small changes now to make a difference for the next generation. Their mission is to make sustainable living easy and convenient. So... Here's Jamila Edwards, who, in addition to all the things we just mentioned, is, in her own words, a loyal listener of the Good Dirt Podcast. Thank you so much, Jamila, for reaching out and for joining us. We enjoyed it so much. about me. I am Jamila Edwards. I am a wife and mother. We have a blended family. So my husband and I have two littles about to be two years old, about to be four years old. And then our oldest is from my first marriage. He just turned eight. And then sometimes we have my two bonus daughters from my previous marriage as well. So they kind of like go back and forth between their dad's house and our house. We are the founders of Life's Flower Coffee House and Marketplace, which is new. We haven't officially launched yet, but we're opening our e-commerce store in May and then following it up with local one day a week local delivery here in Akron, Ohio. And really our mission with that is to make sustainable living easy and convenient for people living here in Akron. And really we are working to fight food justice and build better infrastructure for living sustainably here in Akron. So I'm really excited about that. Oh my gosh, so much to talk about already. (laughs) Tell us more about the business and the, it's a coffee shop? So it will be a coffee shop. It's kind of interesting because that was two different aspects of our business coming together because it's two different passions of ours. And 
originally we were thinking to get started our first step our first phase i i call it of our business was going to be the coffee shop aspect of it and we were going to serve hot and iced coffee and hot and iced tea at farmers markets and kind of start the conversation there with our customers as we got into it we realized working with the health department that we would need to have a food truck that we wouldn't be able to operate the way that we were hoping to operate. So when we kind of had to pivot and think, okay, well, how can we get started with this? We decided to focus on the marketplace aspect of our business, which came from our personal experience of trying to go low waste at home and how difficult it was to go shopping for our family where we live. So we wanted to bring a brick and mortar, like kind of like a farm store, an urban farm store experience where you could go zero waste grocery shopping and get your household goods and stuff like that. But before we get into a brick and mortar, I was like, okay, what can we do now? And one of our partners who we actually get our tea from, they're called Let's Grow Akron and they're a nonprofit organization with an urban farm. And I was like, why don't we just do one day a week local delivery of their produce? We already said we were gonna have an e-commerce store selling zero waste slops. We can just do that local delivery and make it easier for people. I'm a busy mom. I love grocery pickups. Like I do it all the time, anytime I can. So doing local delivery just made sense to me because there's a lot of people who don't have access to the farmer's market, can't make it out there for various reasons, but they prioritize and they want to be able to eat healthy and have access to locally grown produce. So that's what we're going to do. And I'm, I'm really excited to get that started. I want to go back and hear a little bit of the backstory, like how you got even into this journey, desiring more sustainable living and bringing your family into it to such a degree, maybe even an aha moment in the past somewhere that sort of woke you up to what was happening and where you wanted to go. Yeah, it's kind of twofold, at least like with the business on the coffee in the marketplace and the low waste living at home. So my husband and I have combined worked 15 years in the coffee industry and the amount of waste that we saw working in the coffee industry and in food service in general, at the time, it was normal to me to see that. And I really didn't think that much of it. But when I quit working to grow our family and now I had this time at home and one of the things about Akron is we have a beautiful Metro Park system of trails and hiking trails, biking trails, and we're right connected to the Cuyahoga Valley National Park. And we would go on these trails often and I would see trash on the way there and around and it would really bother me, especially in the waterways. I hated it. But then I had to think going home, I was like, you know, we love the outdoors. We're teaching our kids to love the outdoors. I had gardened on and off since I was a teenager. And I was like, when we come back into our home, I don't see that reflected inside our home. It was very much like we live in this house and then we go outside of it to experience nature. Mm. It didn't feel like we were living a life that we were a part of nature. It was very separate. And I didn't like that. And I didn't want to teach that to our kids. You know, I've, I always felt we were a part of nature, but feeling that way in my head and then living that life was two different things. So I went down this rabbit hole of learning about zero waste living. And this was back in 2018, 2019. And at the time, it was the infamous mason jar of the trash. Like, all of my trash for the year fits in this mason jar. And I was like, whoa, that's radical. The epitome of making you feel insufficient in your efforts. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I was like, okay, I don't know. How can we reduce our trash at home? But it was so extreme. And I am an extreme person. I'm like, I'm going to do something 100% or I'm not going to do it at all. So I'm like, we're cloth diapering. We're swapping out our paper towels and napkins and everything for cloth and all of this stuff. And it became very overwhelming very quickly. All of a sudden, the chores in the house were 
like triple or double what they were before. Going to the grocery store became very overwhelming because I'm like, okay, how can I avoid plastic? How can I avoid packaging at the grocery store? It's like near impossible. And we're trying to figure it out. But I felt very anxious and very overwhelmed. And I felt like it was impossible. It felt like an impossible task. We started composting. We started working at a community garden. I was gardening there. And then we started to see our trash reduce in our house. And I was like, okay, maybe it's not impossible. Like we're, we are seeing some progress. But then I got pregnant again and I was very sick this pregnancy. It was my third pregnancy and I couldn't stand up for long periods of time to clean or to cook. The pandemic hit and at the same time, our one-year-old tested positive for lead. So his lead levels were elevated and we were in a rental home and the landlord, it was not a good situation. And we had to downsize into an apartment. Everything shut down from the pandemic. We're in an apartment and I'm on the couch most of the time. So I, we just kind of like let go of this idea of low waste living at the time because it truly seemed impossible. So things that even were unusual for us before, like using disposable paper plates at home for regular meals is what we were dependent on and eating out a lot. So we did a lot of DoorDash at that time. We also went down to one car. So I couldn't really leave the house during the day because my husband had the car to go to work. So a lot of DoorDash, a lot of grocery delivery was happening. But I was really reflecting on the experience I had when we first started going low waste in our, in our home. And I was like, part of the reason why it was so overwhelming for me was the amount of things we had in our house. The laundry was like that, not necessarily because we were now using cloth, but because there were so many clothes, <laughs> like more than we needed. The cleaning was overwhelming because we had so much stuff, like more than we needed. So then I went into this rabbit hole again, into minimalism. Not like, this is the answer. This is the answer for everything. Let me minimize my life. And then it'll be easier to prioritize the things that we care about. So being in the apartment, we had to downsize anyway. And I was like, okay, we're going to get rid of all the stuff that we don't need, everything, <laughs> right down to the bare minimum. And that's what I kind of focused on during that time. So coming out of the pandemic, we bought our first home, which has a nice sizable backyard and moved in all this stuff. And I was like, okay, I want to try this again. Let's do this again. Let's figure it out. I started listening to your guys' podcast. And you guys have an episode with Stephanie Miller, the author of Zero Waste Living, the 80-20 Way. And I listened to that episode like four times. I bought the book and it blew my mind. And I was like, this is amazing. How come I had never heard of anything like this before? Because before it was always so focused in the community online anyway, from my perspective, on perfection, all or nothing. Let's get us to this mason jar. And I was like, okay, <laughs> that just seems like we can't, we can't do that. But reshifting my thought process really helped this time around. And I really started thinking of it too as not just how much trash we accumulate in our home, but more so, what is my relationship with my environment? What is my relationship with nature and our family's relationship with nature? And how can we get back to focusing on that instead of focusing so much on the trash so that every day our goal isn't getting to a mason jar of trash. Our goal is working towards living more harmoniously with our ecosystem so that we don't feel apart from it. We feel a part of it. That's so beautiful, Jamila. Oh my gosh. And it makes so much sense. Yes. And I, I just want to say that you focus on something so fundamental and so key. Earlier in your story, you were telling us how you knew your family would go to the park and you would walk around and you were you know, connecting with nature. And then you'd go back to your house and you had this feeling that bringing this into our home. That's such a fundamental understanding because 
all the literature now, you know, there's so much to say about, you know, we need to reconnect with nature. You know, the last child in the woods and all of these things, we feel like we're taking care of that by taking our kids to the park or, you know, you know sending them outside. And, and so we're checking that box, reconnecting with nature, so to speak. But what you've hit upon is that's still on the surface level. We're not apart from nature. This is a duality, our thinking and our behaving and our assuming we're apart from nature. This is a duality that began many, many thousands of years ago. It's something that more and more I believe in our conversations and my own reading and so forth, that this is where we need to heal. From there, individuals and families can go, how can we heal that in our own family? And I think just asking the question is where you begin. Instead of going, we have to get we have to get rid of all this stuff so we can be less whatever. But when you begin with that question, how can we feel more connected? How can we feel more a part of nature? The other behaviors, decisions sort of stem from that. Correct? Am I? Are we on the same page with this? Oh, yeah. It was a real shift for me in not just what I was buying and bringing into the home or what it was packaged in. But even going outside and looking at my yard and it changed my perspective on everything that we do, because no longer am I thinking, how does this affect me individually or me as a human? But how does my choices impact the whole ecosystem as a whole? I also think it's really interesting that you were able to recognize that feeling, I feel like, of hitting upon we love being in nature, but then when we're home, we feel disconnected from nature. And so now I want that feeling in my home. So I just think that that in and of itself is a pretty self-aware and really, for lack of a better word, just like very smart like way to tie those things together. So do you remember, like, did you just have that thought or were you like, I don't know why I come home and I feel different and what is that did it like take you a while to get there or was it something that you knew instinctually can you talk a little bit more about like knowing what that feeling was yeah I think it it was a little instinctual because of the way that I was raised so my father he is the chair of the department of pan-african studies at Kent State University so we from a very early age I had this understanding of a connection to the African diaspora and our ancestors took it seriously, that connection with the earth and that connection with the environment, our ecosystem. And I knew that and had studied it. And my parents had studied it. And my mom, we grew up in Akron, but I was actually in Kent, Ohio before moving to Akron. Kent is a tiny college town and it's kind of in the country. So we had like a creek in the backyard. And I just remember being very young and spending a lot of time outside and how good that felt. So as an adult, I think it became, as you get older, it just kind of becomes normal. Like the culture, the American way of living is so normal to be individualistic. And it also is more about how can I make things easy? How can I make things convenient? Or the grind, this whole culture of grinding. And I realized that I didn't like that fast-paced lifestyle and that it was producing nothing for me but anxiety. And so I felt anxious. But then when I went out in nature, I was like, oh, yeah, this is I'm reminded of that ancestral connection to the earth and reminded of what it feels like to be grounded in it. But when I came back home, I was back to being anxious and battling depression and all of a sudden I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go to the park more often. I'm going to go to the garden more often, <laughs> but then keep coming home and be like, okay, there's, there's a, there's a disconnect here. Don't you wonder if, you know, how prevalent anxiety and depression are, and there's so many books and theories and therapies and techniques and, oh, we're just inundated with information about this and treatments. But what if it's that simple? What if it, and of course nothing's that simple, but what if it's a lot simpler than we thought and our basic fundamental disconnection with nature is very much at the root of it and it's a walk in the park or a, a stroll through the garden is certainly helpful, but how can we go 
deeper than that. I'm really intrigued how you're talking about your day-to-day -day life and with your family, with the kids and inside the house, you know. How can we make it more pervasive, this connection? For me, it definitely started with minimizing. Like I started thinking, because I was a manager for a while in the coffee industry. And I thought, okay, I went from working at a corporate location. I worked at Starbucks for quite a while. And then I worked at a local coffee chain and I managed at both. And the difference was the systems and structures that were in place for things like managing inventory and understanding the comings and goings, what was going on in the store. And when I applied that to my home life, I was like, you know what? This is chaos, you know? Things are coming in my That's house. That's such like, a good point. Like, this is a bad business model. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it is. Because I would look up and be like, why do I have more than one of, more than one potato masher in my kitchen? Like, <laughs> just every single room in the house was chaotic with the amount of items in it. Things didn't have a home. I had a, my first manager at Starbucks. She said, everything needs to have a home and a place to go when it's put away. And, you know, everything needed to have a home when I cleaned up. And so then it's like, you kind of get into this whole organizing thing, but after a while, it's like, how many times do I need to organize the drawer before I realize there's too much stuff in the drawer? Amen. <laughs> clap, <laughs> clap. <laughs> Word, <laughs> retweet. Yeah. <laughs> so when I started thinking about it that way and started going from room to room and eliminating the access and not only eliminating the access, but really before I brought something into the space, I really thought, do I need to, do I need to buy this? Is this something I actually need or is this something I just want right now? Is this going to be purposeful? Is this going to add something to my life? Is it going to make things easier or does it just present as something that's going to make things easier, like hitch and gadgets and stuff? <laughs> yeah. I feel like most things are trying to get us to buy them. They, they like to present as something that's going to make our life easier. It's like those infomercials where they are like fumbling around and they're like, you know, this is such a hard way of doing things. You really need this item. And that's what it's like in real life. And I just said, no, I said, we're not subscribing to this anymore. And once we said no, it was something that was slow slow moving. It's not something that happened overnight. This was several years in the making and we're still working on it, even our, our new home, because it's easy to accumulate things. But it's hard to say no to bring something in the house. And it's hard, especially with a growing family and the kids go through changes and transitions so quickly. But once we really started to buckle down in those areas, all of a sudden it became a lot easier to manage. And this time around, having less stuff and each room can be organized much quicker and everything has a home and we don't accept more inventory than the space allows. <laughs> and so it's helpful. Who closed last night? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love how you frame your household belongings as inventory. That's, I think that in itself is extremely helpful. I feel called a little called out a little. <laughs> no, it happens to all of us. Yeah, they're just items sitting on shelves and they, they're just sitting there. It's like, because that's when I think inventory, it feels like things that need to move and that should be serving a purpose. You know what I mean? That's super helpful. Yeah, I also want to, you, you touched on something a couple of times and I want to dig into it a little bit. Dig in like we do on the Good Dirt. You were explaining how you, know, you started this journey and then you had the difficult pregnancy and the, the, your child's diagnosis and all these things that interfered. And so you admittedly, you had to succumb to convenience. You had to succumb to convenience foods and things that were making your life easier at the time because you had major challenges. And that was during COVID, right? Yeah, that was during COVID. So, so that was a heightened example of the use of convenience. So I wanted to talk about that term convenience. And we've had this conversation about that word a lot on here, but we'd like to hear different people's experience of it. I have mixed feelings on it. I think it's hard because 
Sometimes you need the convenient option for your mental health because of unrealized work that goes into the less convenient option. For example, like the hardest thing for me is the kitchen and the food. And I make a menu for the week. I usually try to have it done by Friday because I do the grocery shopping on Friday. And okay, I'm like, okay, I need to come up with meals for every day of the week, but not just for dinner. I also need meals for lunch because we all pack our lunches. So meals for lunch and then breakfast and snacks. So we transitioned from buying a lot of meals that were already partially prepared or already made at the grocery store and like the freezer aisle and stuff. And I will also say, I love YouTube. Like I'm a huge YouTube. I watch a lot of moms on YouTube and their the channels. And when you're a parent of multiple kids, especially young kids, and you're trying to learn about health and nutrition too, the influencers will tell you to make your life easier and to be more productive. And I think that also goes into it. How can you be more productive? You go to Costco and you go to Sam's Club and you do a haul and you stock up your deep freezer. <laughs> and <laughs> that's what you're instructed to do. So that, okay, this is taken off your plate. You can be more productive in other areas now. And that's the whole modern convenient thing is you can go to Sam's Club, you can go to Costco, BJ's, you can do your haul, you can get sucked up, but you also have grocery delivery that just comes to your door or grocery pickup. You just pull up and open up your trunk. They put everything in there for you. And then you do a huge stock. And at first I was like, great, this sounds like an awesome idea. I don't have to go to every single week. Well, you know, produce, you kind of do need to go, but for your freezer items and stuff. And if you're eating mostly prepared fruits out of your freezer, then it eases things up for you. But when we started really getting into health and nutrition, I was like, we're in the packaging aspect of things too, trying to eliminate packaging. There's so many snacks and easy things that are supposed to be nutrient-dense meals that are all pre-packaged. I was like, okay, I have to learn how to cook from scratch now and to help, you know, be in more control of the ingredients, but to also reduce our packaging. And the transition was a slow one because I had to teach myself how to cook from scratch. And that was hard, but I was committed. I was like, we're going to figure this out. So if you're committed and you're changing your mindset shift, then it's like, a hurdle, but you're committed to learning it. It's a learning curve, just like anything else. So the first learning curve for, for me was learning how to cook from scratch, learning how to prepare meals that my family enjoyed. But the mental aspect of it is even just getting a list, a menu for our family for one week of breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snacks is a lot of work to do that. Things that everyone enjoys. Once I got the menu down, I make a grocery list. I try to shop the pantry or what we already have in the house first and use up all of our leftovers and things like that. And then I go to the grocery store, get what we need just for the week. I try not to overstock on too much stuff. But then the cooking part is like, okay, how long is it gonna take to make each meal? Are there, can I prep? Someone that you guys have had on the Zero Waste Chef has like a lot of good tips and tricks for being your own sous chef and like, but you have to, look for this information and learn how to do it and be committed to it and plan it. It's so much planning that goes into it. And if I can have all the ingredients, but if I haven't prepped the ingredients, then when I open up the fridge, all I see are ingredients. I don't see anything ready-made for my kids that are like, I'm hungry, who just ate <laughs> an hour ago and they're hungry again. And if you like cooking, and enjoy it or if it's something you're good at or you know whatever that works but if not it can feel very daunting and overwhelming and it, you, it'll make you not want to do it which is why I wanted to kind of figure out with our business how can we be a middle way for folks okay if you need a prepared meal that you can put in the oven how can we make that zero waste how can we put that in a reusable container for you so that you have a convenient option, but it also is good for the environment? And part of it is the convenience is productivity too. 
So if you are working full time and your husband's working full time, you might not get home until seven o'clock at night. And that's that's been us for a while, you know, having dinner at 830, which is so late and you're so tired and you're just looking for something that's already made. And if you cooked it and prepared it and it's all ready to go, that's great. But if not, you're hitting that drive through or you're ordering now on t- at Target on the app, it's ready in two hours. I'm picking up a frozen pizza and they're going to fit in my truck on the way home. But what if there was an option where you could get an already made meal for your family that's zero waste and it's healthy and it's locally, like the produce and the ingredients are locally sourced. And that's where we're trying to bridge the gap. And I think that's where small business owners have a lot of say here and a lot of power if we came together and said, we want to give folks an option and an alternative. That's so cool. Let me tell you about what it's like to drift to sleep on a 100% natural wool pillow sourced from regenerative farms wrapped in a lovingly handmade organic cotton pillowcase. Oh wait, I can't. I think it's just something you're going to have to try for yourself. Holy Lamb Organics is proud to carry on a centuries-old tradition of making beautiful textile products by hand. Combining heritage methods with pristine natural and organic materials and sustainable business practices, they bring a dedication to healthy living and the environment. Everything Holy Lamb does reflects their devotion to the planet and its inhabitants. From their supply chain to their manufacturing processes to their facilities management, Nothing happens without considering the environmental impact. Most importantly, they're also dedicated to fair labor practices, secure working conditions, diversity, and inclusion. From the farm to the mill to their partner manufacturers, everyone shares the same high ideals of a safe, respectful workplace and environmentally conscious methods. Making good products enables them to do good work. Every time we order something from Holy Lamb Organics, we're proud to support a small town made in America company. You can find Holy Lamb Organics in the Lady Farmer Marketplace. For additional marketplace discounts, you can join the Almanac, our member-supported community platform. Find Holy Lamb Organics products including pillows, sheets, natural wool comforters, and more in the bedding section of the Lady Farmer Marketplace at www.ladyfarmer.com. I really love what you're doing and thinking about that. And I think it's so important that we can't just say, all right, America, now we're all going to take two hours for lunch every day. And to go options is just not an option because we understand that you really have to sit down to eat to digest your food. Like, did you know that certain countries, like you just like can't get to go food because they're like, why would you eat your food to go? Like that doesn't make sense, but that's not going to happen. So working with what we have and working within the culture and the way things are, because we can't single-handedly overhaul the culture's experience of mealtime. How do we think about it creatively in a way that makes us feel like there are more options? It's not just throw away tons of packaging, frozen things that have very little nutrients or slave away in the kitchen for three hours chopping and whatever, whatever. There's there's definitely an in-between. And it requires, I think, a lot of different like community, like a lot of different people coming together and working together and supporting each other and trading and all of that kind of stuff that I think is really fun. So convenience is misleading. Yeah. And what I'm getting at as we're sold, as you said a moment ago, Emma, we're sold this idea that it's going to make our life better. And sometimes, as we've said, there's ex- there's circumstances where you have you just do whatever you can to keep your he- head above water. I think it's an important conversation to have because a lot of times for us anyway, on the weeks we have more trash are the weeks that we are eating out or choosing more convenient options. And that's when we see more trash in our home. And that's when I have to think, okay, am I saying yes to too many things that I'm in the car more than usual? I didn't have my day to prep the meals this week because I had too much going on. One of the things, and it's, it's very layered, one of the things that we've decided to do is go back to homeschooling 
because I wanted to have more control over our schedule. I wanted to be able to have more control over what my child was ingesting during the day. <laughs> at, you know, at school, he'll eat noodles every day in his packed lunch and will send back the vegetables that I pack every day. But if he's at home, he'll eat a vegetable plate because he has time to sit and enjoy his food. But I'll ask him, okay, how come you didn't finish your lunch? He said, I didn't have enough time. It was too overwhelming. He's too overstimulated in the lunchroom. So it's a lot of different things that go into it. And we're taught from such a young age that that's normal to be rushed. We're rushed from the time we're children. It's normal to have a bunch of extracurricular activities. It's normal to be involved in so many different things. We're running around all the time. And that's the culture that we're raised in. And that's we're addicted to it here in this Western world. We're like addicted to that. But at the same time, our like rent prices are skyrocketing and the cost of living is going up. So a lot of people have to work and they don't have the option to homeschool. They don't have the option to, you know, slow down because of the driving increase of the cost of living. I'm interested in seeing more small businesses say, you know, it's a small restaurant. We will package this in a zero waste container. I've seen them popping up. At first I saw it just in the UK. It was like this really cool thing where a restaurant could sign up and they would get a stack of reusable containers. And there's like this vending machine of sorts where customers can sign up on the app. They pick a restaurant, they can get their to-go food in a reusable container and they can drop that container off in different drop-off sites. And this third party handles the commercial cleaning of that thing. So it's still convenient, but we're getting rid of that packaging. But what's hard is now as a business owner, we're getting ready to do a focus group, a zero waste focus group for once a week local delivery of produce in zero waste containers. And one of the things that came up for me is how much do I charge for the service? Because I have to commercially clean each one of the containers that the produce is provided in. To make it convenient, I'm the one washing it. And it has to be commercially cleaned. It's not like the person can clean it out and then hand it back and I can reuse it for another customer. It has to be commercially done and all that. So where is the cost? And I think that's where you're coming at. There's a cost that's being paid. And who's paying the cost? It's like all of this plastic, all of this trash. Where does it go? People think it just disappears. Well, we're sending that offshores. Yeah. The book we just read, How to Be a Good Ancestor. The author argues that that's part of the problem where we're not thinking about, you said, like, what's the true cost of this? Like, who's paying? It's future generations. He calls it future thinking. But like, we're not considering that the planet and that the people that come after us will have to deal with it. So we just pretend like no one's dealing with it. So it's just like we're just like leaving that out of the equation instead of when we think about all the work that it would take for us to like clean a container. We're like, oh, gosh, no, that's too much. Well, what do you think that our future generations? Well, like that's that's just crazy. It's very selfish. I think also there's a major problem with the term throw away when we throw away something. Just think of what, what that implies, that you're throwing it away. It's away from you. Why don't we teach in schools and our children there's a decision. Are you going to compost this? Are you going to recycle it? Or are you going to put it in a landfill? And that sounds like a lot to put on a kid, but guess what? That's where we are. If there were more awareness of the number of things we put in a landfill. And and actually, I think we all probably drive past landfills all the time and don't realize what they are, but learn where they are around you and point them out to the kids and say that, see that great big hill over there? That looks like a, a little mini mountain. That's full of our trash. That's full of our takeout boxes. That's full of our plastic forks and all of these things and just shining a light on these things. And 
that brings me to something I wanted to ask you about was you're very conscious and intentional in your own household and your own business about this and you're raising children where do you think they are gaining insights on this because of your interests, because of your leanings? They ask a lot of questions and they're becoming more aware. And I talk to them about everything. So our two-year-old, of course, is not aware of what's going on. (laughs) But our eight-year-old, oh my goodness, he asks such good questions and he really pays attention. And I I think there's been a couple of different shifts in our home, but I have to communicate it with them. So the first shift was talking to them about the packaging. And I was like, okay, guys, we have this stuff in our house right now and we are going to use it. I'm not gonna throw it away. But once it's gone, I'm no longer buying things that are individually wrapped. And they were like, what? What's that mean? And I'm like, The fruit snacks are individually wrapped, these snacks, granola bars, these potato chip bags. You guys all want a different flavor. Well, we're not doing that anymore. We are saying no to individually wrapped items, and this is why. And I explained to them that we were lowering our waste when we go on walks and stuff. We haven't seen a landfill, I don't think, but they see the trash on the ground. So I talked to them about that, (laughs) you know? So they understood that. And then the next thing was, as we're cooking from scratch and I'm getting more into health and wellness, I was like, okay, we're not buying anything that has artificial flavoring. We're not buying anything that has food dyes in it. And then the next step was, we're not buying anything that has natural flavoring in it. Because part of the transition for them was the food didn't taste the same. I baked this muffin instead of buying a muffin that comes in a clamshell and is wrapped in paper. They're like, it doesn't taste like the muffins from the store because it it doesn't have artificial flavoring in it. And then the natural flavoring, which took me a little longer to learn about, but that also changes your taste buds. And I've noticed a shift in my taste buds. So now that we're not buying it, they're more apt to eat food that I make from scratch than they were before because they were so used to the taste of the artificial and natural flavors and things. So the other day, you know, they know if they eat orange, don't throw away the peel, it goes in a compost bin. And they're asking me about the compost and does this go in the recycle or does this go in the trash and making sure that they're aware of where things go, but also eating up leftovers and stuff. Like I, I have a recipe for leftover oatmeal muffins. Like if I make a batch of oatmeal and everyone doesn't eat it up, instead of putting it in the compost, I'll use it to make muffins. Then my eight-year-old was like, this is so good, mom. And there's no waste. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, yeah. (laughs) That's so cute. Do they ever complain about it though? Or like roll their eyes about anything? Yeah, sometimes definitely. When they realize that individually wrapped things meant fruit snacks, it broke his heart. (laughs) He, he was so upset. That's <laughs> what friends' houses are for. I learned right. that lesson. <laughs> gushers. We weren't allowed to have gushers, so friends' houses meant gushers. That is so brilliant, your decision to just veto individually wrapped snacks because, okay, you didn't tell the kids they couldn't have potato chips anymore. They can have potato chips, and, yeah, you buy the big bag, and, yeah, it's mysterious where that bag is, but at least you you don't have, like, the 12 or 18 pack of these little things that's just destined to be on the planet forever. I get to the point where it not only gives me anxiety, but a lot of this stuff just breaks my heart. It literally breaks my heart. When, you know, you realize the contents of the thing lasts seconds or it's consumed in literally seconds and the wrapper lasts millennia. That is no exaggeration. And Sometimes I walk around thinking, how could we all be repeating these insane behaviors over and over all the time? How can these insane behaviors be a cultural norm? And I'll tell you, you know, you talked about, you mentioned a large, well-known coffee corporation. (laughs) So we're traveling right now. We're out of town, you know, seven, eight-hour drive away from our home, caring for my elderly parents. We walked into the coffee place the other day, and we have our own coffee containers 
And I said, you know, I, I don't want the takeaway cup. Can you please put it in this? And I handed it over. And she says, of course. I watched her do this. She filled up the disposable cup, poured it into our coffee cup, and immediately threw the cup in the trash. So what was that? You know, that was a just... You know, shame on me for thinking that we could skip disposable cup. So in this day and age of disposable and constant trash is not only convenient, but it's also the norm. And in many times, the legal norm, the health standard code. They can't take my thing back there and fill it up. So how are you getting around that sort of thing in your business? I'm curious. It's a journey. It's difficult. It's a lot of back and forth with the health department and the Department of Agriculture right now about what it is that we're trying to do and how to do it safely and how to do it with regulation. And it also depends on the county and the city that you're in. So the reason why we need a food truck for serving coffee is because the cream is not shelf stable. We get our milk and cream from a milkman for our home, from a milkman in glass. And I just was ordering I love it. The kids love it. If you're in the area, they're called the modern milkman and they make it really, really easy. But we, I would just order an extra one so that I could fill up the carafe for half and half and milk or whatever for our customers was the plan. And, and I thought that would work because in some counties, if you have it on ice and you're, you're keeping a temperature log, it's fine until it, goes below temp but you know that because you're keeping a temperature log and our county said no it needed to be in an electric refrigerator and i was like oh so to have an electric refrigerator i need a food truck (laughs) to keep it in you know or a generator or something so it's understanding where you are locally and what the regulation is. And that's what's working with the health department. It's hard. And that's why the infrastructure is so important. So I learned that as a manager for a local coffee chain here, it was depending on the county line. I had one coffee shop that they could have their cream on the counter in an insulated carafe and keep a temp. A little further down across county lines, they wanted an electric cream dispenser that was plugged in that kept the cream to temp. So you have, it depends on the health department. It depends on where you are. So right now it's just a lot of conversations back and forth. And I'm working on getting plugged in with city council and with local organizations here that are focused on sustainability. So we can work on it from a grassroots perspective and getting some more infrastructure in place to support this lifestyle. Because in certain areas, I see people online all the time who a zero waste store, they can walk to a zero waste store and that's normal for them. But here, the amount of hoops, when I was talking to the health department about opening up a zero waste bulk shop, the amount of hoops you have to jump through to have people bring in their own containers is ridiculous. But it's, I understand it because they're trying to keep people safe. It's then on us to try to be innovative and creative. So right now you can go into like a bulk section and everything's already pre-portioned in these plastic containers, which is kind of stupid. But I was thinking, what if we got special containers that are reusable and the customer returns them to us empty and then they go back to the shelf and just pick up a full one and we take care of the commercial cleaning of it so that it's reusable, it's commercially cleaned, and it's a closed loop system, but it still works in regulation with the health department. So you have to get creative. I think there are some programs like that beginning to emerge. I mean, it's very much in the infant stages, but I think TerraCycle has one called Loop. Have you heard of that, Jamila? It's a program where certain companies can sign up, certain brands, like for instance, I think like a certain ice cream brand. And when you sign up, you get the container 
full of whatever, and then you use it, and then you bring the container back to that store. And it's a whole program where they take it and then commercially clean it. And so this is, I think this is very similar what you're talking about. So these things are, are starting to pop up. And then the other day we talked with, you probably are familiar with the story of stuff. Are you familiar with that? nonprofit organization. It's mainly an educational thing, but if you haven't, Google it. The story of stuff is amazing. It's like the story of microplastics, the story of stuff. Yes, but it's a mountain to climb. And here, you know, people like you, or like you say, you're just facing this unbelievable amount of hoops every time you turn around, you know, all these, all these details. And yeah, we keep the public safe, public health, infectious disease, all those things are huge. And so are our landfills. <laughs> and so is our amount of waste. So I don't know, but here you are on the ground, you know, doing the thing and, and, and just trying to, you know, make your way through all these weeds and gosh, congratulations and kudos. We, we just, if everyone could have that, that amount of realization, you know, we'd be a long way down the road. Thank you. It's hard because the customer base, I think, and from trying to find investors because people, it's so new. I always joke that Ohio gets everything last. Cultural changes always. The Midwest, it just doesn't come here. (laughs) They have to make it through the cow field. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I got a lot of questions on what is zero waste living? Like, what is that? What does it mean? Why, Why is it important? And people talking about investing, they're like, well, are you a coffee shop? Are you a grocery store? You lost me with the sustainability thing. I'm confused about that. So it's trying to understand how to market our business in a way that people understand what it is that we do and they see the value in it. But also thinking I refuse to cut corners because the sustainability piece is more important to me than just selling coffee or just selling food. So where do those costs go and how do we make money but still remain accessible? And that's a conversation we're constantly having and trying to figure out. And it's unfortunate because nobody's asking corporations to pay for their trash production. Nobody's asking that. But as a small business owner, we have trying to make a change. I'm like, okay, well, do I pay myself for washing out the reusables and How much do I charge? Because I want people to use the service. And if it costs too much, then it's no longer accessible. And that's always like the conversation that we're having is difficult. I cannot wait to check in in six months and see where you're at. I'm excited. I'm excited. As long as the zero zero waste sustainability niche is the outlier, these are the challenges. I want to touch on the food justice thing. You you list that as, you know, high priority for you and something you want to emphasize and educate on in, in your own household and I'm assuming in your life and business and otherwise. You talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So in Akron and really across the country, but I'll talk about Akron for a little bit. There's a lot of areas that are considered food desert locations where people get the majority of their food from a corner store a convenience store or like a dollar store situation. So either like a CVS, a corner store or like a family dollar and don't have access to high quality produce and options. So for me going low waste, the answer always was go to the farmer's market. And I was like, okay, we have one farmer's market at the time one farmer's market in an area that was kind of close. But the time that was there was a time that was difficult for me to make. And it was during the week on the evening. And then the other ones were a good 20 to 30 minutes drive away. So for me, I might be able to make the drive. I have a car, but for a while we only had one car. So we were dependent on grocery delivery. And there's a lot of people that don't have access to transportation to the farmer's market or they're working at the time that the farmer's market is open. So they don't have access. So for me, I believe it's inexcusable that this is happening and I really wanna make a difference. I've been working in agriculture just as much, almost just as long as I worked in the coffee industry. And I feel like there's a lot of gaps in between 
farmers needing access and and resources and the community having access to the food that the farmers are producing. And that's what we're trying to do is bridge that gap. There's a lot of other neighborhoods in Akron that are working on opening up farmers markets. And part of the response to that is everyone wants to have access to a farmer's market. Everyone wants to have a farmer's market in their neighborhood, but the farmers aren't always able to make it to all of these markets. And people don't always understand the amount of work that goes into farmers popping up at a farmer's market. So I thought, why can't I purchase the produce and then take it to the farmer's market for them or offer it as like a mobile grocery store, which I've seen popping up, mobile food markets popping up. I hate saying more progressive cities than the one I'm in, but (laughs) where things are moving a little bit faster, I've seen it coming to fruition. So that's something that I want to do. But it comes back to, for me, because it's so passionate, uh, something I'm so passionate about, I don't want to upcharge for the food. So whatever I'm paying the farmer for, for the food is the same price that I would want to pay the consumer for the food. So we just have to find other ways to make money instead of it being from the cost of the food, because the food, the cost of food is rising and people are having a really difficult time with that. So, so what was the recent episode, Emma, I'm, I, where the, the people had the, the bus that went to different parts of town. It was Urban Growers Collective. So I don't know if you heard that episode or not, but you might you would be really interested in it, Jamila, um, their model. I did. I did listen to that episode. Yay. <laughs> I'll have to go back and listen to it again because it's so much information that happens yeah. in these episodes. Yeah, and that organization is, I mean, we were like, during that interview, we were like, aren't you tired? <laughs> like, you're doing so much. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they have... Of all these programs, they have this big composting program and education, and it's 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 crazy. But yeah. So, Jamila, what does slow living mean to you? Slow living for me means being intentional about how I'm spending my time. It also means saying no to things. This hustle culture that we're in is so anxiety-producing for me, and I'm a person that moves slow in everything that I do. I'm just like a slow mover. And I want to be okay with that. I want to live in a way that I can stay grounded and rooted in the environment and the soil. I love that. That actually just reminded me of something you said earlier, how you felt when you were younger, because your father's a professor, right? Is that what you said? You feel connected to the African diaspora. That brought me back to, I mean, at some point, we all come from people who they're bare feet on the dirt ground, you know, and like, and I kind of had the image of like bringing nature in the home and all that. And like, just how, I mean, not that I like want dirt floors in my house, but there is something really grounding about that. And like, that's kind of cool. All of us, whatever our origins, there, there's some indigenous roots back there somewhere because, you know, there was a time when all humans on the earth were in direct relationship to their environment. So, so we all have that. We all have that in us. And well, I'm thinking specifically of, I don't, there's like some really cool TikTok accounts. Like, or this one woman in particular who, who is an African villager in Africa. And she's like, it's so funny. Cause she's on TikTok. She's like, you people think, you know, slow living. Well, here's, I'm turning, you know, and she's like cooking over an open <laughs> fire. Like she's funny. It's like the ultimate slow living. My parents stay in Ghana for part of the year. And when they're there, they say in the village, the transition back to America is always difficult for them. Oh, I can imagine. So tell us, what does the good dirt mean to you? Oh, I love this question. It reminds me of an African proverb or saying, as above, so below. And I see that reflected in the soil, like even... If you were to take like a little bit of the soil and look at it under a microscope, it would remind us of the oceans and like the very deep depths of the oceans or looking up at the stars, like all the way up in the galaxy. And even just thinking in our gut, like the microbiome and the microbes in the soil, it's just all reflective. And it just reminds me that we're all connected, like we're all a part of this ecosystem and it was built to operate together 
in this really unique and special way. That's so beautiful. Oh, I love that so much. As above, so below. I know. Thank you. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> I, I just want to really congratulate you and affirm you in all of these endeavors and you know your business and in your household and with your children and in your life and all this really intentional journey that you're on and and just thank you so much for talking to us about things and I think we could go on and on and I I think there might even be a part two to this conversation because there's some questions we didn't get to yeah I'd love that (laughs) if there's anything else you want to mention or anything that you want to leave with the listeners about about your journey and what you're up to or anything like that yeah I would say to remind yourself, especially if this is completely new for you, a new outlook. This is a life journey. It's a life change, like a lifestyle change. It's not something that will happen overnight and you have to give yourself grace. And just to pick one thing and stick with it and slowly build upon it. And a couple of years down the line, you'll look up and be living a life that's completely different than the life you're living now. And don't compare yourself where you're starting to where somebody else is in the middle of their journey. Just focus on your one thing and it'll get easier. It gets easier. It feels impossible at first, but it it really does get easier and much more manageable over time. It also begins to feel like the way you want to be. It's not an effort anymore. It's not something that you just do. Oh, like one more thing to check off. It's, it's, it is. It's the thing to do. It's the, and it just becomes much more normal and a part of who you are. So I agree with you completely. Something you just said just made a light bulb go off for me, which is like slow living and like the journey to slow living itself has to be kind of slow. Like you can't just like start slow living like immediately. <laughs> if you, if you, you know, you it's have to hard. incorporate it slowly, <laughs> which like, I guess makes a lot of sense, but yeah, I mean, or like anything, like it's so hard to start things. I, I don't think, I think, why is that so hard for us? Like building habits and little bits at a time. I think we're just so like results oriented that it's just you have to reprogram your mind. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Really rewire your brain. It's so true. It starts with all these things we've talked about, just conversations and shining a light on things and thinking through things. Yeah. And finding community and other people that are also into it. It's way harder when you feel like you're like the only one. Absolutely. So that's what the good dirt is about. So thank you so much. Thank you, Jamila. This has been so fun. Thank you. I appreciate you so much. Ah, we appreciate you. Thank you so much. Okay, goodbye. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. Okay. Thank you for tuning in, calling in, and spreading the good dirt. We love hearing from you. You can reach our listener voicemail at 443-459-1950. That's 443-459-1950. You can find this number in our show notes and in our Instagram profile. This show is produced by Lady Farmer, a slow living lifestyle community. And the original music is composed and performed by John Kingsley. For more from Lady Farmer, follow us on Instagram at We Are Lady Farmer. That's We Are Lady Farmer. Or join us online at www.ladyfarmer.com. We'll see you next time on The Good Dirt. Goodbye.